0: Data Mesh Radio is produced, hosted, and edited by me, Scott Hurlman. I created Data Mesh Radio to be a resource for data mesh practitioners the world over. This is a weekly summary episode where I share a bit about the upcoming week's episodes and give you an extended summary for any interviews or panels that will be released this week. should help you decide what episodes you might want to spend the full time with, as interview episodes and panels are typically one hour or more. In general, if you are running up against any challenges with data mesh, I'm here to help. I started a company around doing just that, working with lots of practitioners just to kind of get them into a better headspace and a better kind of operating model around data mesh. So please do get in touch if that sounds interesting. Weekly episode summaries and programming notes for the week of April 9th, 2023. As I mentioned last week, get in touch regarding some roundtables. Eventually, most of these roundtables will be only available to clients. I'll probably do one or two a month that are going to be open to kind of the public, but there will be very affordable options on a month-to-month basis. So kind of read, no contracts throw on your credit card. As of recording, the first Few roundtables. I'm recording this in advance, but the first few roundtables will probably be next week, the week of uh, April 16th. And I'm going to start a series as well of vendor interviews that now that the data mesh learning team stopped their vendor interviews. So if you are at a vendor, one, do, do not reach out. I will reach out to you. If someone from your org does reach out, you're going to go to the back of the list just so I don't have a bunch of people trying to line up. But two, listeners, please let me know what vendors you want me to interview. What do you want me to grill so I can actually talk about what are you doing in the data mesh space? What, not what features, not what feature dump, but like what are the challenges that people are working with you on that they're seeing good benefit from, from the stuff that's that you're putting out there. Um, these interviews will be on the data mesh radio LinkedIn. So that will be kind of where I start to put some live video uh, stuff as well. Oh, and get excited for my reading companion, to Tujmack's book. I'm still working on how that will get distributed. It'll probably either be through Next Data or through my company's website. It's probably going to be free. Um, it probably legally even has to be because it quotes Schmack's book so much. And it's specific to not like, hey, and here's the Cliffs Notes. It's like, here are some things to think about and even some things where I push back and go, is this really the case or is this the case right now? Um so I think that that will help people with kind of Shemak's book. So what's on tap for this week though? On Monday we have episode two twelve, reflections on building a data mesh platform from scratch, which is an interview with Joachim from Novo Nordisk. So this is a lot of learnings about the early journey in data mesh of Novo Nordisk and building out their platform. Theirs is somewhat of a unique angle, so I would say don't try to copy paste from what they've do- done, but they've seen a ton of of uptake in their usage of their data mesh platform. And they have also done this in in a way that's really, really helped with kind of regulatory pain. So I think there's a lot of really good useful learnings about how to think about early in the journey and and how they're also enabling that internal community to really thrive. There are some interesting leverage points uh, that you should kind of learn from that one. On Friday, we've got episode 213, Jimax Corner 21, reinvented Reinventing Data Development, Not Data Processing and Storage. So I've just got kind of my te- key takeaways here, which is we need to make the, the data product the first class primitive of information sharing. Make them really the basic building block of how we create our internal data and AI ecosystem. So we go into a little bit more of when she says primitive, what that means. One thing she said was, quote unquote, tools reshape behavior. If we want developers to change their relationship to data, we need to give them the capability to do so easily, or even if not exactly easily, at least not arduously, right? Right. The industry sees the value of data mesh, but we need to find much lower effort ways to create sustainable, large-scale change. We need to be finding catalysts, like really look into what catalyst means in chemistry. One thing that she really said is there's no reason to try to reinvent a lot of the technology in data at the physical layer. Lake storage, streaming technologies, ML libraries, again, at the physical layer are great but we need new ways of accessing and leveraging them to make it far easier to create and manage data products, right? When we look at what's happened in the operational space on the services side, the API revolution, we need to have that kind of same thing where the developers don't have to care. They just call different functions and they call things and just work with what, what are they actually trying to do instead of exactly how does the tool do this? Um, it, it gets, it's, Jmac really explains it well in that. So, and then the final point was, while everyone seems to be talking data products, there need, seems to be so many different definitions of what data product means. This has led to a weaker market pull on vendors to improve their tooling to make data mesh more easily possible. So if we can more standardize around what a, a data product is, we can get the vendors pulled in the right direction. It's, it's a hard, thing to really collaborate around, but I think it's something that we want to push on. So with that, let's go to the extended summary for the interview with Jochna. Ended summary for episode 212, Reflections on Building a Data Mesh Platform from Scratch. Interview with Jochna Karki. So in this episode, I interviewed Jochna, who's the data engineer at Novo Nordisk. To be clear, though, she was only representing her own views on this episode. Jochna started off the conversation with a bit about her background, especially in data engineering, and the need to be and stay curious. There are so many new approaches and technologies that could provide significant benefit to what you're doing with data to, that you should consider, right? Think in that product mindset and look to evolve your approaches and tech stack to create more value. Specific to Novo Nordisk's data mesh journey, Jochna and team saw the writing on the wall for their data lake set, set up. While their centralized data lake was doing well and people were happy with it, There were increasing consumer and producer demands, and the central data team was still required to help teams create their data products. Having a centralized team in the middle of every use case just wouldn't be efficient as they scaled more and more. Then they also hit some cloud service limits, which caused some major headaches as well. All this led to looking to decentralize via data mesh. At Novo Nordisk, many domains already had significant data capabilities and there were people building data products anyway before data mesh, according to Joshna. What they really needed was a way to empower and enable teams to more easily create and manage those data products in an interoperable way and and kind of lower the bar in general for usage. So the central data team was to focus on the platform, but there wasn't a huge need to upskill all the domains. There were some that were quite skilled. There's still another centralized team of data experts, besides the ones that are building the platform, to help domains that aren't as data fluent. Scott note here, while this is not that uncommon, most organizations are not this lucky. Specifically to the pharma industry, Jochna shared some of the pre-data mesh compliance and regulatory issues that were Better addressed when they moved to data mesh. Domains needed to work with regulators, but it was hard for them to see exactly how the data was stored, as it was managed by the central team, which is you know part of the compliance. It was all part of the central data lake, you know, AWS account, and those teams didn't have the ownership or visibility they needed into the like how that was actually stored in that account, right? But with data mesh, the teams now have the visibility to their own data storage and access to audit logs and data governance so they can more easily comply. Jochna shared that at Novo Nordisk, there was so much demand to participate in their data mesh. The data platform team and, and any centralized data capabilities you know, to assist the domains that didn't have high data fluency, they worked with multiple teams to start. This helped them to define the requirements for their data mesh platform to support multiple data domains. While this is a data mesh anti-pattern, it went well for them as many of the domains, again, were quite capable with data engineering and data analysis. There were also many domains that wanted to contribute aspects to the platform, so there were good feedback loops between the platform team and many domains. So Scott note here, don't go this route unless your domains are already highly data-fluent and capable. Working with many domains at the start of a data mesh journey can create a high-risk scenario instead of going the thin-slicing model. Jochna and team are focused on enabling proof of concepts more than trying to automate everything right at the start. She noted they are focusing on understanding the problem deeply and moving fast to get proofs of concepts into people's hands and then circling back to automate when there is more need and things are slightly more stable. Basically, they are trying to be agile about this. It has also led to more modular components and reusability. They can get things out in a prototype phase and then think bigger picture how to deal with similar problems instead of going just for point solutions. In order to prevent type coupling and keep modularity, Chionstra and team started to actually remove things like data pipeline blueprints, reusable components, and bootstrapping accounts from the, the data mesh platform. While that might feel counterintuitive, they wanted to create a community specifically around things like blueprints, so the central team wasn't managing them. Community members were managing them, and people could kind of more share freely, and it wasn't, here's our official one, and that's not official or anything like that. Look to create central sharing mechanisms, but with a decentralized ownership and contribution model. Community-led innovation is more scalable than centralized knowledge ownership. I think we've seen that (laughs) over and over, and that's part of the reason why people are going for data mesh. When thinking about platform maturity and if they needed to pay down any tech debt, especially around certain features, Joshna and team benchmark quality levels and compare those to the actual business needs. Being in a heavy, heavily regulated industry, some aspects of client compliance are just non-negotiable. You must meet them. But there are places where, you know, good enough for now is a completely acceptable answer, and it's right, it's the correct choice. Some signals they use are support tickets and direct feedback around different aspects of the platform. They're also starting to build out KPIs, but it's very early. It's very much a work in process, and you'll probably have similar challenges at the start with your own KPIs. One interesting aspect of doing data mesh has been less duplication of work per joshna. This is a target goal of data mesh, of course, but it came about naturally as now that people can f- reliably find and access data, they don't feel a need to build that you know, source of data for themselves. Jochenov said, you know, quote unquote, make sure that it is reliable enough for people to depend on this data. Part of your platform and your overall mesh is to make it easy for consumers but also producers to trust the data. If you have a black bra- box process, Can producers really trust it? And evolution of your data products plays a part in trust, too. A consumer can trust that the the way the data is presented is still relevant to the business. Hopefully, that sounds like some awesome episodes for the week. As a reminder, feel free to get in touch if I might be useful in your data mesh journey. I'm helping quite a few organizations and introducing people to each other, plus doing some roundtables. I hope you have a great rest of your day and your week. Now on to that fun, funky little outro music.